Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution, creators of the most powerful marketing and communication software built specifically to meet the needs of insurance agencies and brokerages. You believe that the relationship you have with your clients is the heart of your business, and I suspect that you do, then please visit agencyrevolution.com and find out how you can make those relationships stronger and longer. Get a free demo. Um, again, I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast. It fits within a special series in which we are dedicating uh, this platform to deliver to you the insight, information, and tools that you need to successfully navigate your agency through these uh, difficult times with the coronavirus. And um, uh, so I want to put this context in this uh, particular podcast into some context uh, and share with you what we're doing in the series. Number one, uh, I interviewed Dr. Robert Hartwig. Many people would consider him to be the chief economist for the insurance industry on the potential impact of the virus on the economy, on the insurance industry, and on your agency. If you haven't listened to that, I strongly encourage. And then I interviewed Brad Rubin, president of Archway Computer, on protecting your agency from the dangers that can sneak in with remote workers, dangers uh, like hackers, like viruses, and um uh, other things that can go wrong when you don't have control over that situation. So if you've got remote workers, you've got to listen to the conversation with Brad Rubin. And then today I'm interviewing uh, or I'm sharing with you my uh, interview with Bill Wilson, the author, author of four books on insurance. Um, he's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Reader's Digest, Kiplinger's, Money Magazine, and much, much more. He's the former Associate Vice President of Education and Research at the Big Eye. More about that in a moment. And then next week, I'm interviewing David Heinmeier Hansen, uh, fondly known as DHH in tech circles. Uh, he's the co-author of the best-selling book, Remote, Office Not Required. Uh, many consider him to be one of the fathers of remote. He's the creator of the popular Ruby on Rails uh, web development uh, platform. And then I've got a surprise or two after that, but let me put them on hold. I'm interviewing David after the publishing deadline, so that one might be a couple of weeks away. So uh, we've got a lot. Uh, we, we've delivered uh, some uh, really well-received conversations, and I think uh, have some spectacular conversations in front of us, including this one. Uh, when I have uh, issues about insurance, technical issues, legal issues, I turn to Bill Wilson. Um, and I think much of this industry does. And in this time, there are issues that are going to be arising and emerging that you need to be prepared to deal with. Your customers will have questions. Your clients um, 
uh, need answers to those questions. Your team will have questions, and and uh, then you and your team need to know what to say. So Bill Wilson covers that in, uh, as usual, expert detail, covering issues such as uh, business income. Does it cover the virus? Uh, what about shutdown by civil authority? Does it cover, quote-unquote, physical damage caused by the virus? Uh, issues regarding uh, liabilities that may be opened up with remote workers, both yours and your customers. Um, and are there new liabilities that your customers uh, may be facing that they hadn't planned on before? Again, with remote workers, what, what about customers who are now taking gig jobs? Uh, if they can find riders, what if they're driving for Uber and so on and so forth? So there are questions that need to be answered and, well, Bill's, Bill's got them. So... Uh, my turn to get out of the way. Again, Bill uh, is, um, well, uh, Bob Rustbolt, CEO of uh, The Big Eye, called him the nation's foremost leading expert on form, coverage, and technical issues. So this is somebody you want to listen to. So without further ado, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to introduce you and invite you to this conversation with my friend, Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, when I have technical insurance issues to deal with, when I have issues to deal with policies and uh, the legality of insurance, there's pretty much one guy I turn to, and I'm talking to him now. So thanks so much for joining us. And so I, I do want to put this in some this conversation in some context. Uh, you and I are having this conversation today in, um, it's a, a little bit difficult to say the midst of the coronavirus crisis because we don't know the duration of it. But certainly we are in that storm, and there are uh, fairly serious issues that are beginning to arise or emerging, and a bill based on conversations you and I have had before. Um, I, I think you've got some insight on what will be arising and what the challenges and difficulties and, and obstacles that the industry and agents are going to be running into. So that's kind. Of, I think that's the... Uh, framework for this conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Okay. And, and, and based on our previous conversations, I think uh, we're probably going to be focusing on issues revolving um, business income, uh, some liability issues, uh, and there are also some, uh, perhaps some personal lines issues uh, that we're, we're going to be addressing. And, and then clearly, uh, before we're done, we want to make sure that the agent has some kind of an action plan to deal with. So, okay. yep. so where do you want to start with this? There's so many, um, uh, there's so many things arising. I, I, I so <laughs> I was reading my reader this morning and, and, and I saw this, um, article it was published yesterday in bloomberg um it said i'll just start it out for years property casualty insurers insurers have sought to protect their business from the ripple effects of a pandemic the spread of the coronavirus is showing it may not be easy <laughs> and goes on to talk about how uh you know lawyers are more than willing to get involved in the interpretation of clauses and words and phrases that may or may not be there in insurance policy so 
I'll let you kick this off. What do you What do you see as the biggest emerging issue? That's well, it, it's uh, it's business income coverage because you know clearly you've got thousands, hundreds of thousands of businesses that are shut down or their 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 operations are curtailed in some way in order to try to minimize the spread of the virus. Uh, and uh, I think the first uh, I blog and and I've I've probably got about a half a dozen blog articles. So far in the last, probably the last three or four days. And uh, the first one was about business income. I, I called it, uh, I think I asked the, the, the question, uh, does it cover the coronavirus shutdown? And it was based on what is alleged to be the first lawsuit uh, asking for coverage for business income, mainly because of an order of civil authority. It was a a lawsuit filed in uh, district court in New Orleans by an attorney, a policyholder attorney there. I, I learned yesterday that I think he has filed basically the same suit in California. But um, the, the suit alleges that uh, that there is coverage under most business income policies. And in fact, he refers specifically to a particular restaurant customer who is insured through Lloyd's of London, right. and it just happens that the Lloyd's policy uses the ISO business income form. It's the uh, industry. Oh, it does. Okay. P O O thirty. Right. Now, that, that may be the Oceana Grill in New Orleans. Right. That's it. Okay. Uh, and they just happen to have an ISO form, and that's where most of my expertise is. I, I worked for ISO for almost twenty years. And uh, so my background and, and most of the questions I've gotten over the years deal with, with ISO forms. So it was it was something I already knew quite a bit about. And uh, when I looked at the lawsuit, basically what I did is go through each paragraph of the lawsuit and explain why I didn't think that it was a, a valid suit. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, Michael, how deep you want to get into the coverage issues, but uh, I can... Well, let's I, I yeah, let, let's begin to explore that a little bit because uh, I do I think this is important. And as as you said, uh, they're not hundreds or thousands; they're probably hundreds of thousands of businesses that are shut down in right. virtually every jurisdiction. Um, some by civil authority, right? right. And, okay, so uh, yeah, let's take a look at it, Bill. What do you what do you think is going to happen here? Well, the exposure on business income is really two, two main aspects of that. One is if your own business is shut down and you've lost business income, there's coverage in the ISO form. And the other one is the order of civil authority. There are two separate and distinct coverages. Uh, the, the first one, it requires, in the ISO language, direct physical loss. So the question is whether a virus a virus contamination constitutes a direct physical loss, like a fire or tornado or something of that nature would. And it all boils down to jurisdictional case law. It's the uh, there are some jurisdictions that that have law that says that that maybe it could be a direct physical loss, but I think that the general consensus, most of the jurisdictions have found that it's not direct physical loss. When when you think about you have an automobile accident and you dent a fender, the, the fender doesn't automatically undent of its own accord. Or if you have a fire loss, the, the charred wood doesn't become uncharred. But in the case of the coronavirus, if you just simply leave it alone, 
according to the experts right now, probably within at least three days, it, it deactivates or dies on its own. And uh, if you want to expedite that, you take some Clorox wipes and other kinds of, of cleaning solutions, mm -hmm. and you can clean the premises. And it just happens uh. that uh, that the most business uh, uh, business income policies have a 72-hour waiting period before coverage even even begins. So where you have that exposure, if, if let's say it is the coverage is triggered, it is considered a direct physical loss. You can probably clean it up before the coverage ever actually kicks in. So for that yeah. reason, even okay. if it is direct physical loss, you probably don't have that kind of business income coverage. Maybe, but if you do, uh, some people may buy that uh, 72 hours down to nothing or 24 hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, oh. But even even so, you're probably going to have very minimal coverage. The, the, the one that the focus is on is on the order of civil authority, can, which, can again, I, is a separate okay. coverage. If I can, let me ask you to pause for a moment. Um, don't some policies have, um, oh, virus slash bacterial exclusions? Yep, they do. Uh, in fact, if it's a straight ISO property form, either direct coverage or, or indirect like business income, mm -hmm. back in 2006, following, I think, guess it was the bird flu epidemic, ISO introduced a, uh, a bacteria and virus exclusion endorsement. I think it's the CP0140 endorsement number for folks that, that use ISO forms. And uh, so what you find is I, I talked to an agent yesterday who said that probably 80% of his policies had that endorsement on it. Uh, some carriers may have their own similar kind of endorsement. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's funny because I've seen some of the articles from, from the trial bar seeking coverage that claim that only 20 or 30% of policies in the marketplace specifically include, uh, exclude viruses. And I'm being told by, by pretty good agents that the number is far higher than that. So, yes, you're right. There, if you have the virus exclusion, the, the case is probably closed at that point. On, uh, uh, okay. Now, now let's go back to the issue of civil authority. Okay. The, the civil authority, the, the, the important thing here, and, and I, I don't think I've said it yet, is, is uh, that you have to read the policy. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of what I see, particularly in some of these government orders and mandates and some of the articles, they just generalize about business income coverage, uh, and, and they don't really, don't really cite specific policy language. In the article I wrote, I do reference several articles, a couple in particular, that get down to the policy language. And mm -hmm. when you get down to the policy language, that's where you find that coverage usually doesn't apply. And in the case of the ISO form, under civil authority, there are several conditions that have to be met before you have any coverage. And I'll, I'll read you one of them. It's just a, a phrase or a sentence long. Uh -huh. uh, in order for coverage to be triggered, you have to, there has to be access to the area immediately surrounding the damaged property is prohibited by civil authority as a result of the damage. So that's, that's what usually, I think, will stop Claims involving civil authority. When you look historically at this at this coverage, it was introduced for catastrophic events uh -huh. like uh, like uh, Hurricane, tornadoes, tornado. hurricanes, mm -hmm. and, and earthquakes, and so forth. 
where you wanted to provide some coverage because uh, it entire, uh, I, I live in the Nashville area, and we had a tornado come through here not long ago, and you couldn't access entire neighborhoods and business districts because of the damage. Power lines were down. It just wasn't safe. There, there was no question there was damage extensively in those areas. So the, the government forbid anyone to, to enter those areas for their own safety. That's what this is designed to cover, where you can't access your business because the government says that entire area is too dangerous. It, it has to be a result of the actual damage, which in the case of the coronavirus may or may not be true. We don't know in many cases, probably in most cases, where businesses are shut down if there's any virus contamination or not. There probably isn't in the vast majority of them. Right. And again, even if there is, once the, the moratorium has been in effect for three days, any virus that was there is probably gone by now anyway. But the important thing is they, they have to prevent access to the area surrounding the property. So a lot of times you'll see certain businesses closed, but there, there's no prohibition of access to the area. I can drive or walk down the street. I just can't get any services from those businesses. Uh -huh. And when you actually read the language in the form, it's clear that that's what this coverage is intended to apply to. But even if you could if you could make a case for there being coverage, there is a time limit on it, and the time limit uh, is uh, in the current ISO form is four weeks. In earlier versions and in some company versions, it may only be two weeks. So you're only looking at best for either one of these types of coverage coverages at very limited coverage. There's no form that I've seen. Uh, in the mainstream marketplace mm -hmm. where a business is going to have coverage for their loss of business income for weeks and months at a time. Under the civil authority clause? Under e either their own direct... Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. The, the reason under their own business income coverage is that uh, the, the property can be remediated in, in a short order. Right. Okay. Or, again, if you do nothing, according to the experts... The virus is going to be dead within about three days anyway. I've heard a couple of conflicts with that. There was uh, something in the news about one of the cruise ships. They found some RNA from uh, the virus that, uh, that was 17 days old. It might still be active. I don't know. I, that's uh. a hearsay thing. I don't know how true that is, but most of the folks are saying, the experts, that it's a, a three-day duration. All right. So, Bill, let's play this out uh, for a moment here, because I, I, I know that this isn't your first rodeo, um, uh, you know, regarding a, a you know, a, a, what we would call a catastrophe. So it would seem that uh, this language is going to be tested. And uh, th there are a couple of a uh, couple of places. I mean, clearly the court system um, and and the uh, the with. Uh, aligned with a robust advocacy of the uh, of the bar, um, and then also, uh, uh, and we've talked about this possible um, legislative intervention. So, uh, I'm going to ask you to do your best prediction. But how do you think this will roll out uh, in those two arenas, courts and and uh, you know um, legislative intervention? Okay. Yes, 
the 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 lawsuit that I've been talking about, the one in New Orleans, mm-hmm. is, is doesn't uh, actually ask for any kind of damages or anything. What they're looking for is a declaratory judgment from the court about whether there is coverage or not in that particular form. Uh, I would be very surprised if the court finds coverage, but you never know, particularly at the, at the district court level when you're at that low a level of, of courts. Uh, the the type of uh, I don't I don't want to do anything to denigrate. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, we've talked about this, so I know. That, uh, the, <laughs> I know what you're going to say or what you want to say here, but well, yeah. I, so I think to some extent you're saying maybe the the quality of the judgment isn't the highest it can be. Right. Okay. Yeah. And you you often see those kinds of cases overturned once you get uh-huh. up higher these the appeals level and beyond. Okay. But I I don't. I don't think anyone, uh, you know, often this bo- the, what the decisions made by court boil down to how good the legal counsel is and how how good and compelling the expert witnesses are, if any. Here, they're just asking a judge basically to make a make a decision, uh, and they cite uh, I think one Louisiana case that I, I there's another Louisiana case they didn't cite that to me makes more sense that there's not any coverage but we'll we'll see I, I think most courts are going to find that there's not coverage and most of the legal experts whose articles I've read tend to to agree with that if if they do it I don't think it'll be based on the contract or on law it'll be based on the, the public good or a matter of public policy or whatever and you may see these things go as, as high as they can go in the court system all right so let's look at the other side of the equation. What do you, what do you think will happen um, conceivably uh, with legislative intervention? Well, we've, uh, New Jersey had a bill. That the, my, my understanding right now is it was tabled and hasn't been introduced. There are, I believe, Ohio and Massachusetts, just to name two states, have, uh, have introduced bills. I don't know if they're still in committee or they've actually been proposed to the legislature, but they're looking at, uh, it in some ways, mandating coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the New Jersey bill would require insurers to cover business income losses, even if their policies didn't cover it. And uh, there, there are a lot of constitutional issues. There are some constitutional lawyers that think that is a violation of uh, Article One of the Constitution dealing with the ability of states to modify mm-hmm. private contracts. Um, and there are things dealing with due process and stuff where you're, you're going to have legislation that's going to be challenged in the courts. Um, but on top of that, though, you're seeing that some states or their insurance departments are issuing directives or mandates about coverage under existing policies. I know the, uh, the state of Kentucky just issued uh, something March the 25th that says, and I'm, I'm reading from the, the uh, directive, insurers shall not deny a claim under a personal automobile insurance policy solely because the insured was engaged in delivery services on behalf of a business impacted by the closures necessitated by the governor's executive order. Uh, a very similar provision uh, or directive was issued a couple of days earlier in the state of Wisconsin dealing with uh, food or maybe grocery deliveries or certain mm-hmm. kinds of deliveries. Right. If they think they're ordering that insurance policies uh, 
cover those. I don't know how insurers will respond. There are probably some that 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 will will comply voluntarily. There are probably some that will not comply and, and will choose to fight those mandates in court. I did see something from Progressive uh, Insurance Company the other day right. that said, I think through April the 9th or thereabouts, that they will not uh, apply their food delivery exclusion. And I've suggested that a, a great thing for insurers to do is to do something like this voluntarily, but I, I'm convinced that they need to do it by endorsement. And to give you a, mm-hmm. a, a quick example, in the Wisconsin directive, they also said that uh, there are businesses that don't have any auto coverage, and uh, which is a mistake to begin with. Every Just about every organization needs hired and non-owned auto coverage in case you have employees that are using right. their own vehicles to run errands or do things for, for businesses. So what this directive says is that uh, insurers must notify those businesses that uh, coverage is available, the hired and non-owned coverage, and that they have to provide it if the if the uh, uh, business wants it through their general liability policies. Well, one problem with that is if they are a pure ISO subscribing company, you can't provide hired and non-owned auto coverage through a CGL policy under ISO commercial lines manual rules. They you can do it through their auto program, but not through their CGL policy, and. Uh, I think it's important, too, once again, that we get back to companies issuing endorsements to do all this mm-hmm. and not just say, well, we're, we're not going to enforce this exclusion or we're going to provide this coverage. Because if you if you say we're going to provide hired and non-owned coverage to a CGL policy, but you have no endorsement to do that, well, you have no contract language to fall back on to determine the extent of coverage, whether any exclusions apply, there's no provision for any kind of a limit on hired and non-owned coverage. Uh, so it's, there has to be contract language to govern whether there is or isn't coverage, coverage and how much there is. Okay. So, uh, so, so I want to break this into some chunks. So uh, clearly there's going to be some commotion around business income, but I, I think you've You've, you've also raised that there may be some issues regarding uh, personal lines insurance as well, right? Because, uh, well, uh, and, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, um, maybe not new, but it's, it's certainly more than before. Uh, uh, people who, like, let's say restaurants wanting to stay in business, you know, might have their servers driving, and they didn't do that before. Or... Somebody who lost their job, <laughs> um, et cetera, may suddenly be, you know, find themselves as an Uber driver. God bless them. I hope they can find some, some business. But, you know, people are going to be looking for, for uh, uh, unusual income streams for themselves and, and, and um, facing new exposures. What do you think will happen there? Well, even the, the, two, uh, the two mandates that I mentioned in Kentucky and Wisconsin uh-huh. – they both make, as I recall, they both make exceptions for for the Uber and Lyft type exposure. That they those if they're excluded, they will continue to be excluded. These are these are just kind of directives that deal with, uh, like you say, the server who rather than just uh, to uh, lay them off or fire them, the the company is using them for deliveries. The well-intentioned mandate is that you 
you cover that exposure even if your policy doesn't doesn't currently do that. So I think we're you're going to see a lot of that, and I think you'll see carriers once again doing that voluntarily. Again, I hope they do it by an endorsement that modifies the contract. But that's that's probably one of the biggest exposures. Most policies already have an exclusion for using your vehicle uh, personal auto policies as a public or livery conveyance or transporting persons or property for a fee. Right. Uh, generally, those do not apply to deliveries based on working for a private employer. It's, uh, they're designed to exclude the exposure somebody actually holding themselves directly out to the general public for hire. So those exclusions probably won't apply, but there are insurers that do have specific delivery exclusions for food, right. papers, all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this is what these directives are, are really geared towards. And, and that's on a state-by-state basis? Uh, it, it could be company yeah. by company. Okay. In, in addition, yeah. there, as I've often written, insurance is not a commodity, no matter what you see in advertising <laughs> that, that implies that the only difference is the pricing. There are policies in the marketplace that don't cover any kind of business use of your vehicle or may not cover business use of a pickup truck. There are so many kinds of variations in the marketplace. The only way to know for sure whether you have coverage or not is to look at the policy or pose the question directly to the insurance company. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, Bill, help me bring this into the the, the real world of day-to-day operations of an insurance agency. So it seems to me there are um, a couple of ways in which critical communications um, will happen and or need to happen. One is responding to the inbound call, the inbound inquiry from a uh, customer who wants to know, do I have coverage, right? Um, so, uh, so I'm going to ask you your, your best advice on how you think the agent should handle that. So the restaurant owner who said, I'm shut down, you know, I, I, I need to file a claim. Um, and then there's the second issue of um, agency to um, segments, you know, outbound communication, what using usually contemporary um, communication technologies, what kinds of things now should agents be saying to their their customer base and or segments of their customer base? So let's break that down into two chunks. So the inbound calls come in. What's your best advice on how they should deal with that? I can tell you that, that the insurers that, that cover agent errors and omissions and attorneys that represent agents and E&O claims will caution agents about saying that there is or isn't coverage. I would never say that there isn't coverage. I would refer them the questions directly to the carrier whenever possible. Uh, it, so you, you, you don't want people to think they shouldn't even file a claim. Most people are filing claims, and then the carriers responding whether there is or isn't covered. Right. Some okay. states, like New York, has mandated that uh, carriers uh, be proactive and contact their insureds to advise them about whether it's likely or not that they have coverage. But as far as calls coming into an agency, you, you have to be very careful. Frankly. There are agents that shouldn't be giving any kind of advice 
one way or another about this. There are other agents who are very astute coverage people Mm -hmm. that are probably qualified to, to answer questions, but I guess my caution is be very careful and don't commit absolutely one way or the other about whether there is or isn't coverage. The final determination is always going to be made by the company's insurer's claims department. Um, uh, <laughs> or the court system. Um, um, so then in regards to the second half of my question, <clears throat> do you think there are messages and, you know, besides the, you know, be safe and, you know, we care for your messages, which are, uh, I, I don't want to minimize the importance of those, you know. To, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah that, I mean, there's enough information about that from right. non-insurance entities about, you know, social distancing and, and washing your hands and all that stuff. Uh, if the agency feels confident and qualified to offer coverage guidelines, no, I mentioned the, the like the delivery exclusions. Right. So right. You can't say, well, my company, don't worry about that. I'm going to talk them into not applying that exclusion. <laughs> you uh-huh. never say something like that. But there, there are things like homeowners policies. Uh, there, there's pretty much uh, almost an absolute business liability exclusion in homeowners policies. There are also property limitations in the, the current ISO, their primary homeowners form. There is a limit uh, uh, for coverage for property used uh, on business. That depends on the language mm-hmm. of the homeowner's policy. The current ISO form says primarily used for business. Older editions of the form say used at any time for any business purpose. Uh, this limit applies, and a lot of carriers still have that kind of language, but the current ISO form provides only $2,500 worth of coverage on your premises and $1,500 off your premises. Earlier versions, older editions of that policy provide far less coverage than that. So uh, you, you might caution people that if they're they're working from home, that they may be using computers, desks, mm-hmm. chairs, other things for which this limit might apply, and there are ways to increase it by endorsement in the policy. Uh, there are other things like uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people providing information on Facebook and so forth of dubious quality. You might end up being sued by somebody, or you might get into a heated argument. Some of this stuff gets political, mm-hmm. and you get a lawsuit because of, of libel or slander or whatever. There are ways to cover that under homeowners' policies that, that might be worth taking out uh, an endorsement that costs 20 bucks. So ah. there are probably things that an agent can tell people about this, mm-hmm. but once again, only if you feel very confident in your coverage knowledge and your ability to commu- communicate in a way that won't be misunderstood by, by your customers. Uh, you, you did raise um, an interesting issue there, that now all of a sudden, um, many hundreds of thousands of people or more are working at home um, that were not working at home a month ago. Yeah. Um, and so that does raise, uh, you know, possibility of certain exposures for them and or for their employer. Yeah, you, you might have uh, somebody working from home and uh, they invite a customer to come by their house. You know, as long as you, you don't have 50 customers in your home, that's probably acceptable from a social distancing standpoint. Right. Um, but uh, 
if something happens to them and they're injured on your premises, you, you probably would have no uh, homeowner's liability coverage. I don't know what you may or may not have under a business policy or even if one exists for that matter. So, you know, just be wary of the fact that you're working from home that homeowner's policies weren't designed to provide business coverage. Uh, and that's an issue that people need to to at least ask about. Got it. All right. So, <clears throat> Bill, if <clears throat> if you were going to um, summarize, um, oh, you know, the things that an agent should be aware of, and the things perhaps they should be communicating on or not communicating on, what do you want to say to the agency force? Uh, I would just say, you know, stay within your comfort zone. Again, I keep repeating this, but. Uh, there are differences among agents, just like there are differences among policies. Some agents are, are, are right. great salespeople, but they're not great technical experts, mm -hmm. so you want to be very wary. There's going to be, no question, a lot of litigation arising from everything that's going on. And an agent needs to, to I wouldn't say be noncommittal, but just recognize once again that, that, uh, that there are limits and their knowledge and their limits and our ability to communicate in, with the church because it's some of the stuff's going to be a he said she said thing. Document your conversations directly with customers, what they what they ask about and what you told them. And uh, like the old show, Hill Street Blues. Be careful out there. Be careful out there. <laughs> That's a throwback, my friend. <laughs> Um, the, the, there, there are listeners of this show that probably don't know what Hill Street Blues is. So <laughs> thanks for reminding me of my age. Um, so, uh, Bill, uh, just really one or two last things. Um, it, it seems that uh, a agents need to keep their finger on the pulse of, of this issue uh, as an insurance issue and as a legal issue. And, and as a customer relationship issue, um, and uh, I, I, you know, uh, well, one of the f my my first question is, how can people find your blog? Because you're uh, you're writing contemporaneously about this. Yeah, I, I'm at uh, insurancecommentary.com. It's where my my blog is. Mm -hmm. I've, uh, like I mentioned, I I've, I've probably got a half a dozen articles. You can subscribe to the blog. It's free. Doesn't cost anything. And if you if you do it for this and then you decide you don't want to hear any more from me on coverage issues, you're you're free to unsubscribe. Uh, but I, I'll probably be writing quite a bit about this in the in the coming days. So uh, uh, let me let me give it my personal endorsement for, for uh, on this issue. If there if. <clears throat> I don't care. You can unsubscribe from Bill's blog later on, <laughs> but on this issue, I think really, I seriously want to encourage people to pay attention to the um, to the difficult technical, legal, and insurance uh, side of this because you, you, you want to be um, you, you want to be a step ahead of your customers on this. That's your job. Um, and if Bill, if people wanted to reach out to you or find out more. Um, should they also visit insurancecommentary.com, or is there uh, any other way that y you want people well, to reach out to you? They're free to email me. I, my email is bill at insurancecommentary.com. So, uh, Got it. I've, I've, uh, needless to say, I, I get a lot of emails, but in the past week I've gotten many hundreds of emails. So <laughs> it, it might take me a while to get back to you, but uh, I'll be happy to respond.
respond to any questions that folks have via email. All right. Well, that's a uh, that's a, a testament to the um, value you're bringing to the industry. So I thank, thank you, you for that. All right. So uh, going forward, Bill, uh, you be safe and uh, all the best to you. As if the tornado this, in, uh, in, this, in, in uh, Nashville wasn't bad enough. Now you got this to deal with. Um, yeah. And uh, I, again, I'll encourage our readers to uh, pay attention to what Bill has to say and take a look at his blog and make the effort to uh, subscribe to it. So, uh, Bill, once again, Thanks so much for joining us today. I uh, really, really appreciate what uh, what you're uh, delivering to the industry, the value that you're delivering to the independent insurance agent. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.